welcome along uh, to, uh, to, to another episode of the Elemental Insights podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Neil McAlpine today. Thank you for, uh, thank you for, for, for giving us your time, Neil. No problem, Graham. And thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to what we're going to ch- chat about in the next uh, few minutes. There's plenty to get through, I think. It's been an eventful year. Oh yes, uh, it's been one of the, the certainly the toughest and strangest year of um, my twenty-year career in in consultancy, um, and uh, many challenges faced, uh, many challenges faced down, um, but still, I think many challenges to come. And uh, COVID's hopefully uh, got a an end point um, at some point, well, a, a, a slowing point at some point next year. But then right. we probably have the challenges of what's happening in Brussels, etc., at the moment, and um, we'll see where where we end up but um, I think there's lots of challenges but lots of opportunities out there as well. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I guess for context, Neil, Neil's uh, the transportation director for, for a company called Kundal who are a, a global multidisciplinary engineering consultancy um, with, I think it's fair to say, a, a focus on sustainable development for uh, buildings and associated infrastructure. Um, and. I, I guess as a professional services business, I own a professional services business too. Twenty twenty has been particularly um, challenging because a lot of the a lot of the things that are happening can be seen as uh, discretionary budget and things that can be put on the shelf for for another day. How, how, how has how has business been this year? If you were to go back to April, has it been better than you expected it to be, um, or, or or worse? What's what's been your experience? Um, I think there's been uh, both both sides, Graham. I think sometimes there's been a lot of experience which has been much better, and a lot, a lot of experience which actually even worse. In general terms, business has been steady um, throughout the year. Uh, we we haven't seen the the catastrophic drop off, in fact, which which everybody is predicting, and which a lot of maybe some other industries have seen, especially the, the hospitality sector, etc. But because we have been a company which has focused uh, very much on sustainability, as you mentioned, and um, I suppose I better get the plug in here. We're the fir- world's first um, uh, engineering consultancy to be net zero carbon uh, accredited by the Carbon Trust. Um, and that focus has meant that we have had a, a good year um, in, in terms of business continuity and keeping up levels of business. Uh, it, it ha- we have seen some of the more traditional areas obviously suffer. Um, but the, the the focus we have had as a company in sustainability has really paid very off very well. We, we are getting new commissions, new areas, uh, and those areas are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just in terms of uh, the business itself, the switch to um, home working, um, and the fact that you know, we, we used to have 20 offices, um, we basically now have 980 offices worldwide, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, has been virtually seamless um and has shown that it can be be, be done um it's shown that yes there, there has been a slight drop off in productivity here and there but actually as the as since march um things have improved and um, we've got better at it the systems have got much much better um the fact that basically in march 23rd we were all in offices and march 26th we were all at home um, and our it systems held up i think has been a massive massive plus um, the, the the ability to, to Zoom, um, for want of a better phrase, yeah. um, has been um, an amazing in terms of um, uh, keeping people in touch. But it's obviously a very different way of keeping in touch. And, and actually, if, you, if 
the leadership and the, uh, the people who are leading teams, et cetera, haven't been able to change. I think those are the people who've really suffered. Um, right. it's, the pe- it's the fact that you've been able to change, communicate differently, but still keep those channels of communication open has, has been the reason why um, certainly Condal have been um, successful in keeping a business um, up and running. Mm-hmm. Well, fairly successfully throughout the throughout the whole of 2020. And mm-hmm. um, I guess some of these changes, everyone, I'm big on the cliches from this year, right? So <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the main cliches is obviously the new normal. Um, yeah. Is it the new normal? Do you think everyone will just go back to the way they were working before, or will it? Will we still have this remote working, home working thing as 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 a part of the offering from businesses or from your team specifically? Um, I, I think uh, yes, we we will definitely change. I I, I don't think um, companies which are going to thrive moving forward um, will will go back to completely one hundred percent office working. Um, there is no way and no doubt about it that actually you do need a, a, an element of office working um, for a professional services company, um, specifically being able to communicate with other disciplines, being able to communicate with each other, and bouncing off ideas. Um, we don't need it there 100% of the time. And I think going forward, we're going to have a blended workplace where you, you will have maybe sort of 20, 30, 40% of your time at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of 60% of the time in the office. Um, I think those companies which don't offer that will also suffer because people will be expecting that. People's lifestyles have changed over the last eight months. Um, I, I, and I think that's an important element. But I, I think just to touch on one of the elements of that, you've got to be able to get your work-life balance correct. Yeah. Um, this 100% working from home ha- has quite often led to, to a blurring of lines between work and life. Yeah. Because actually you get up in the morning, you go to the shower, you have your breakfast, you switch your computer on, all of a sudden you're at your computer at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, uh, and you're, you don't switch it off until 6 o'clock at night. Right. Um, and then you, you're still connected because maybe the computer's still up, so you're still checking your email, etc. And so you've got to get that work-life balance correct, which I think is why sort of the blended system going forward will be be, be the way forward. Um, I, it's really important um, as a company that you, that you remain attuned to what your staff want and need. Um, you know, actually, you know, we are going to have some people, especially junior more junior staff or early career professionals, um, I think is the correct phrase, um, who, who will need more contact, who will need more um, uh, training, more, more um, helping them through the process. Mm-hmm. And those people maybe we could, we'll see in offices further and further and further um, going forward or more and more going forward. Um, and actually the senior people will, will be a little less mm-hmm. in, in offices constantly. Um, I also think that one of the big changes we're going to see moving forward is is the meeting. Mm. Will we have meetings? You know, uh, I'm sure every professional services company is aware of that. You know, you, you look at your diary and oh my word, there's 25 meetings for this week, and I guess 25 hours. And you know, that leads me you know 25 hours or 50, 20 hours to do the rest of my work. And you know, oh, I've got to prepare for them, and actually, I've only gone two minutes in that meeting. Right. That's all I say. That's all I say. And I mean, you just think, why? Why am I here? Um, and so I think we'll get a lot more. So we'll get a lot more savvy in terms of that uh, element of it, and we'll get less uh, meetings. Which, of course, goes back to my discipline. So therefore, different ways of travelling and moving about. Um, uh, I think that'll be a, 
a big change, or it has been a big change, and I, I'm hoping that will continue because uh, uh, I've always find it strange that the transportation planner who wanted to stop people <laughs> traveling as much um, this, or, or more appropriate travel. Um, so we're almost trying to do ourselves right at the job. <laughs> um, that's what we're trying to look up. But I think that will be a big change going forward as well. So that's an interesting point because it was something we wanted to get onto. Um, obviously, the way the way everybody gets around the urban habitat has uh, has changed significantly this year, right? And and largely not because of I don't think because of any choice, just because way, where are people going? People aren't going anywhere, right? So there's there's a large element of that. Maybe private vehicle ownership has gone up because people don't want to use buses and trains and things like this. So um, yeah. which is obviously contrary to, to, to the efforts that, that we're trying to make in the, in the industry. What do you say, are there, again, I guess similar to the, the working practices, do you see any longer term impacts to, to the transportation sector, uh, specifically because of uh, 2020 and because of the, the, the pandemic? Yeah, I think there will be changes. I also think we've missed an awful lot of opportunities. Um, right. We're already seeing uh, private vehicle use and traffic flows getting towards um, to, to use your phrase, the, the old norm, <laughs> um, already, even though the pandemic is, is still upon us. Um, uh, I think we've missed opportunities to, to really lock that into people's psyche. Um, but I think one of the big things which will come out of this is the need for greater interaction between land use planning and transport planning. Right. Um, and the idea of a of actually being able to do things without having to get into your private vehicle, you know, without having, you know, being able to walk from your, or cycle from your home to the local shop. So you look at what's been, been very successful throughout the, or been more successful throughout the, the pandemic has tended to be the local shops, which have offered something bespoke, offer something different mm-hmm. and they're walkable too, mm-hmm. you know, um, People still get in their cars to go to the big supermarkets. That will never stop. But actually, if you're you talk about the high street, we're going to see a complete transformation on the high street into what I believe will be local shops, more leisure activities, rather than necessarily the, your big chain stores, etc., which will start moving towards your you, you, the online economy. Mm-hmm. But that also creates very diff, different and difficult challenges. Um, I, I did a. Uh, a, a webinar a few months back jointly with Rider Architecture on reallocating road space and actually in town centres and urban environments in particular you know why do we need all the parking which we currently have why do we need all the um, um, the road space set aside for private vehicles going forward we're, we're going to have a change in, in vehicle ownership as, as you, you mentioned mm-hmm. I think it'll become rarer for people to own their car maybe not for another 20, 30 years, but it will become rare to own your own vehicle. Uh, you will essentially start to, to, to do it as a mobility as a service, as it's called. You essentially rent your vehicle or you, you get into your uh, somebody else's vehicle or your car clubs, you know, 40 years. Subscription years model down. for... Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, and you'll have your subscription model for people who want to, to drive your Aston Martin, for people who want to have your, um, you know, your, your, your smart car. <laughs> you will. Um, and, you know, but, but the ownership element will change. Um, and therefore, you don't need all of this uh, private land for parking. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, because actually you'll put your car there, and the next person will come in and get in that car and take it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, so it'll become more joined up, and, and that that's a big change. But primarily, it gives us an opportunity to create a really good urban environment in city centres around digital, around high streets. You know widening pavement, like getting cafe cultures going, making it more pleasant for people to walk, making it more pleasant for people to cycle, taking away the private vehicle as a barrier, always just creating the atmosphere for a better economy and for a better lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is that we've moved more to an online economy. And I'm sure nobody has... Uh, Missed the fact that our uh, missed, missed it. There's hundreds more HGVs on the road. Right. Actually, that's one of the things you look at in, in the flows, and you see more more HGVs in city centres around suburban areas. Really? Why? Because we're all desperately need that pencil case which we order from Amazon right. tomorrow. <laughs> so, and, and we've got an Amazon Prime. You know what? They've sent it on a an HGV to come or a local van to come and delivered immediately to your to your house and that's the psychology and obviously your background in this element that's the psychology thing you know do we really need it and i think that this is one of the areas which transport planners are going to need to look at is how do people behave in their economy mm. you know and I, by that i don't mean getting to and from their place of work which hopefully we've touched upon i think that will reduce naturally um, to to up to a blended home working office based model, um, but I think actually how do they live their lives? You know, do we really need Amazon Prime? Did we really need that pencil case, or do we look at the idea of actually massive so banning all HGVs from city centre? Let's be controversial here. Let's ban all HGVs from city centres, um, and actually have huge big freight consolidation centres on the outskirts of towns. And actually, the only thing which can come in will be smaller electric vehicles, helping our clean air zones, um, delivering um, when you have four parcels ready, for the sake of argument, yeah. or smaller vehicles which all go to one area. And so actually, instead of the 60 HGVs, one from Amazon, one from, I don't know, M&S, one from Waitrose, one from whoever, um, all coming to deliver to your house, actually you only have one vehicle coming to deliver your house that has all these different parcels. Mm-hmm. And you start to then reduce the traffic. And again, then you give the opportunity to, to reduce uh, road space and to create a better environment to 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 get better, to get more clean air, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's there's opportunities out there which we, which we need to grasp. Where we've missed opportunities are in unlocking that behaviour. In we should have been more robust in um, our measures to support distancing. Should be more robust in our measures to bring in cycle lanes, walking your wider pavements. I'm not saying maybe in the suburban areas, but in city centres, we should have been really robust to at this moment in time to say, right, these temporary measures, you know, not temporary guys, they're coming in now. Mm-hmm. Um we need we need that. Um but there has to be backed up then with public transport options and attractive public transport options, which mm-hmm. again you, you touched upon, Graham, people don't want to get in the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, but actually, I think the average bus journey is something like nine kilometres. That's mm-hmm. probably cyclable to the average fit person. Yeah. So we just need to change that psyche. 
sort of day. Um, I think a lot of it there's with people is that the, the, naturally this year a lot of people built up a, a fear response to, to to those kinds of, of modes of transport. That is reversible as things start to, you know, as the vaccine gets rolled out and it's yeah. really about building confidence. I think for, for me, you know, if we could go back to like April or, or, or May when literally everything was closed, it was like 28 days later, you know, nobody anywhere if you did cycle into town you would be met with no one and nothing did we miss an opportunity to actually do something to our urban spaces in that time when nobody's there when nobody's using it yeah absolutely agree we we, we should have done um i'm going to take my own home city here of edinburgh um, and i'll take a a very famous street in edinburgh of um, morrison street which is this the link down to Haymarket Station from Fountain Bridge uh, on it's got the conference centre on it. Uh, there's four lanes at some point, three lanes at a point, one way traffic, signals, parked cars, etc. Narrow pavements. It's just a horrendous environment for a pedestrian. Yet we have bars, cafes, etc. on it. Why, when we had all this, didn't we get rid of our parking spaces? Widen those footpaths out to um, create a cafe culture, mm-hmm. which actually would have maybe allowed the, the, the cafes and bars to open because we could have had an outdoor environment, wider space, allowed more social distancing, mm-hmm. um, created an economy still there. And, but that, that sort of, that's an example, but that could be taken anywhere throughout the whole of the UK, probably the world, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs somebody to be brave, and our politicians to be brave and stand up and say, guys, we've shown we can live with this yes it's maybe not our ideal model at the moment but we've shown we can live with 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 without our vehicle without our car so let's change and dramatically change the high street you know, the high street's been dying for years so why don't we just dramatically change it now we've got this opportunity we've got a real opportunity to make a massive sea change in how people walk around the high street mm-hmm. walk around the city center walk around an urban environment cycle around it and we're going to give the infrastructure to it but you know what we're going to base it on the economy we're going to say actually we're making these changes yes for the good of your health for the good of of clean air zones but actually it's, it's economic impact you know look at kensington high street at wandsworth i think it's brussels all showing 20 30 40 percent rise in footfalls when they've widened pavements when they've got a cafe culture mm-hmm. you know what have we done in, in, in the United Kingdom? Yeah, a couple of temporary cycles here and there. Yeah. <laughs> Which would you take a night? I'll give some, some credit to, to, to some of the stuff that's going on in, in Dundee. They, they did pedestrianise, I think, Union Street and, and you know, the cafes and the roads. We've got kind of a smart, uh, smart city uh, initiative going on here just now. Lots of green charging and, and there's a new bike bicycle scheme that's been put in with you know the the rent a bike drop it off uh, in another space kind of thing that opened up just a couple of weeks ago so i have seen some of those things but i thought it just would have been much more widespread as as, as you know the opportunity was clearly there to do and and, and let's face it may, may not come again to get that opportunity no, we're never going to say it. Um, uh, one of my, my my colleagues in in my team said that um, basically there's been more movement in the eight months than there has been the last twenty years of transport planning, mm-hmm. but yet there still hasn't been enough movement. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, and the, the, the same person also coined the phrase which I which I have stolen from him, um, which is appropriate travel. Mm-hmm. Um, not we're not we're not anti travel. We're not anti car. We want appropriate travel. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And it goes back to the point of view, what's the blended model? Is it appropriate I'm in the office every day? Is it appropriate, therefore, I have to make that journey every day? Mm. Is it appropriate that that meeting happens? Is it appropriate that I'm at the meeting and therefore don't need to travel to it? Is it appropriate I, I'd use my car to, to go to um, the school, which happens to be, you know, 1.2 kilometers down the road you know what, what what's the appropriate means of travel yeah uh, and and too often in transport we have the car lobby the anti-car lobby and never the twain shall meet you know it, it, it's the middle road for want of a bad phrase we, we need <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it's that middle ground we need a, and it's how we and I think that going back to the psychology is, is getting the term appropriate in people's mind. And I think the last eight months, the COVID response has been, has shown people there is a different way, a more, and I, I'm going to use Graham's phrase here, a more appropriate way mm-hmm. um, to, to travel. Um, and that really needs to be brought in. But and going back to the question about how, the, the COVID element, you know, where, where are the transport peaks? Where are the, the, the traffic peaks? How does it impact people? Somebody coming into work who's just sat for an hour in a tin can, essentially, locked in with air conditioning, is tired, having to, is stressed because they just had all their, their traffic jams, stressed because they couldn't find a car parking space, is not actually going to be at their best in the work environment. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's refreshed either by walking in you know, or cycling in, if it's possible, even leaving your car on the outskirts and doing the last sort of two miles or mile by cycling walking mm-hmm. is better and refreshed, blood's going through them, they're, they're, they're better, they're going to be much more effective employees for, for yourself. Or, or go back out of the shower, actually had a really nice cup of coffee instead of the instant you might get in your office, you know, um, yeah. and sit down and actually you're, you're feeling refreshed and you're feeling really good and you're looking forward to here and you're actually a much more productive workplace. Um, so I think there's a, there's a real lesson to be learned for, for, for companies here and, and how we go forward. It's like actually, we mentioned earlier, work-life balance, but also what's appropriate. and What's, what's appropriate for one person is not always appropriate for the other person. But we've, you've got to give people the choice. And if we can't give people the choice, I think we, you don't become an attractive company to work for. Mm-hmm. You know? and I think that's a key element going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's it. I think going back to the, you know, the blended, the blended office, blended remote thing, uh, it, it has to be down to the individual, right? So I think where companies will be successful with this is if it's, if there are options. So yeah. we move away, not from 100% office or 100% remote, but we move away from everyone gets treated the same way. And a lot of times this comes from really HR culture, where really the, the, the cornerstone of HR culture is fairness, um, which, yeah. is, which is a laudable uh, ambition. Um, but it's, it's not always practical uh, to have everyone doing the same things or having the same terms or working in the same way. And I think that you know, the big winners from this, from a... a an attraction point of view will be the ones that recognize that that person with a young family might need to work at home a lot more. Um, and that person who's, uh, you know, a gregarious type A personality that loves being in the office might want to be here um, every day of the week. Uh, both exactly. are okay. Um, exactly. And I think that that's, that's, that's really what the candidates will be looking for as well. They'll be looking for what they want. 
Yep, and we're very lucky in Condal. Sorry, I'm going to blow our own trans- our own trumpet here. We're also very lucky in Condal to have an HR team which has, um, you know, really pushed that and changed policies, etc., to be that more flexible element of it. And I think, although I, I don't have any empirical data to back this up, Graham, um, I think anecdotally I've been hearing a lot of people who have been either furloughed, not necessarily in our industry or our company, but um, or have worked compressed hours, saying actually I quite like that compressed hours, or I quite like that, you know, reduction of you know, 80 percent. Um, you know, uh, I, I can live in the 80 percent, so but I don't really want to do 80 percent of my of the week and, and give the other day to my family. Mm. You know, mm. I think there'll be an element of um, of people who want that change, uh, and companies need to embrace that. Moving into you know the, the the next year, hopefully is a is a better year than this year. Um, yeah. which is hard, I think. Um, you know, is that where you see the opportunities for your team for for for, for growing yep. the business for 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 your own team in terms of uh, the transport side? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I have um, I suppose fairly strong opinions on where transport will, will, will go. <laughs> um, whether they're right or not, I suppose we'll, 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 we will discover for the next 10 years or not. But um, I, I think I think the opportunities in the, in the, the transport element are that transport planners will no longer be focused on transport assessments, transport statements, etc. You know, is that junction over capacity? Well, I think that's mitigated. Well, maybe we need to start moving away from that. You know, um, say, is this the appropriate place for development? Yes, fine. Some plan, a planners decide that. Okay, let's go on. So, how can we make this development as sustainable as possible? How can we influence the developer to say, well, actually, you know, you need some local shops in here so that people can walk to it. How can we influence the developer to say that actually you need, um, you know, big green open spaces which are going to be used that people can walk to. But more importantly, how can we get that people who are in that development to their place of work or play mm-hmm. and not by the car. You know, what's within two to five kilometers? Let's link up to those. So instead of spending 600K putting you know, a new roundabout to, to make sure it's got a, you know, more vehicles can get in there to this. Well, actually, let's just say, okay, it's going to be congested, guys, but we think this is the right place for it. So let's spend that 500K, even let's save ourselves 100K, you know, Including the local authorities, I'm not talking about even just developers here. And well, let's put in some more cycle lanes. Let's put in some wider pavements. Let's make sure the public transport is is a much better to this area. You know, I would love to say that you know every development over a hundred units actually, guys, you need to make sure that there's a uh, you know or ten thousand square meters. You need to make sure there's a at least an, an hourly, if not half hourly, bus service going to it. Mm-hmm. You know, as it gets bigger, it should be be more mm-hmm. to give just people's real options, and I think that's where certainly our our team will start to focus on is is moving away from this idea of uh, you, Thatcher's predict and provide your road to prosperity, nineteen seventy nine Thatcher road to prosperity, you know, uh, predict and provide stuff, which we still get back from councils a lot, um, into more actually inclusive, um, looking at what can be done. How can we make it better? And uh, and it goes back to the added value element. How can we give people something which they need, which they want, um, and realize that they want it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, 
psychology. Mm-hmm. And I give an example of this um, quite a lot when, I, when, I'm, when I'm speaking. Um, you walk out of your house, the standard mass house builder, volume house builder at the moment, you walk out of your house, what do you see? You see a driveway with your car. Therefore, what's the first transport opportunity you, ha- you happen to see? Well, actually, it's your vehicle. It's your car. What happens if we start to move the car to the back of the house somehow? Not saying hi. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you walk out, the first thing you happen to see is a bike rack. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, the app that you've got in your pocket, you know, on your phone, which has been bespokely made for your development or your area, your, your little neighbourhood, says actually yeah you just walked out of your house where are you going work here's the cycle route to it and you see so you get up in the morning it knows you're going to work little text pings up in your phone or whatever this is your cycle route to work you walk out and there's your bike and you think oh actually, i can cycle in today mm-hmm. um and that's psychology element but obviously you need then the the, the backup infrastructure element but um also just in terms of you know, where we're looking you know, how attractive is a place? What makes a place attractive to get to, 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 to and from? Sorry, apologies. Um, is a cafe attractive any longer? An indoor cafe? Possibly not. Maybe not for quite a long time. Um, but I a cafe. Nice at the moment, you. Oh, trust me. Trust me. I'm, I'm desperate <laughs> to be uh, for 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 for, um, for cafes and bars too. But I'll begin. I'll be a pint, Graham. <laughs> so um, you know. Uh, but you know, is it attractive? What pulls you to that area? And actually, you know, how, how then? So actually, when I created a cafe, we couldn't get a lot lighter area because we've widened the footpath, we've taken the cars away. And all of a sudden, it becomes very attractive to walk that area. But you know what? You're going for a pint. I'm not definitely not taking my car then. Are you going for coffee? Well, actually, I don't think I really want to take my car because I want to be nice and fresh when I get there and I'm going to have my coffee in my nice open environment. Um, so so th- those changes really need to be some need to be forced upon by the local authority or the national government. Others need to be developers hmm. thinking more about their their, their, their developments. Uh, and others need to be people, I suppose, like ourselves, almost selling the vision hmm. to people um, of a fairer transport environment for everybody and a cleaner transport environment. Let, let's let's get on to um, yes. everybody's favourite topic, which is of course <laughs> hiring brilliant people into the yes. <laughs> you know, as, as you know, I've worked a lot in uh, in the transport side and, and yeah. all the disciplines and parts of the economy that I've hired in in my career. It's one of the most challenging, I have to say. It always yes. it always is. Now, partly that's just down to numbers. You know, part of it is just numbers. It's not there are not a million people doing this. Um, <laughs> But partly it's down to just people have a very different hiring managers have very different views of what they look for in their team and what makes yeah. a, an A player in their team. Um, so I'd be interested to get your take if someone's wanting to come and join your team. You know, what all things being equal, let's say everyone's got the same experience, their CV is just as impressive, they all want the same money. Uh, what, what separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of bringing people into your team? I think it was it was yourself, Graham, when you were doing work for me in the past. He said that I was a nightmare to uh, <laughs> recruit for. And <laughs> um, um, certainly our, our, our HR team have used that phrase with me <laughs> in the past as well. Um, 
but yes, it, what what makes a candidate stand out? Um, there's a number of things. Um, firstly, there's how they're presented to you um, uh, as a candidate. Um, we get CVs coming through the door constantly, and actually, just getting dropping a CV into somebody's lap is not going to be successful. That, that, that's the least the least successful area. We probably we. Nine out of ten probably won't even be read, to be brutally honest. Or you'll read the first bit and go, nah, couldn't be bothered. So it's how, how the person's presented is key, and, that, and that's where you, your, your skill comes in, Graham. But after that, for me, it's about the person. Um, it's all about their culture, their thoughts, their processes. Will they fit into the team? Um, you know, the most brilliant person in the world, uh, in best transfer plan in the world might be toxic in your team um, and it just doesn't fit into your team and actually you're better having a a less brilliant person for want of a better phrase but actually fits into to, to the team environment much better um, because actually you'll get better brilliance that's a really awful phraseology, but you, that's, that's, that's got to be a Trumpism, right? That's yeah, I know. I was going to say it. Be, be careful yeah. here. You might cross the line there. <laughs> but yeah, the um, the uh, <laughs> it's highly fit in your dream. What's the culture they're looking for? What can they offer? Um, where, where can they add value? And goes back to again. What what's where they add value? Do do their skills fit in with what you have in your team? Um, but more importantly, will they get up? on with everybody if you don't get on with people and you don't have a team you've certainly got eight different companies or nine different companies ten different companies whatever how many member staff you have and actually that's not good so they need to buy into the company values the company culture um they need to buy into the team culture and they need to be able to offer something different um I think one of the reasons why you probably find transfer planners are hard to to, to find and and recruit for is because we're argumentative buggers. <laughs> <laughs> we have an opinion on everything, as you've probably heard in the last little bit, um, uh, because that's our very nature of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we try and push boundaries everywhere. Um, you push the guidelines a little bit more here, push, push the standard a little bit here, you know, Work, where can we add value? Where, where, where can we push a little bit further? And to me, that inquisitiveness and that nature is key to somebody being successful in a consultancy. Mm-hmm. Somebody who wants to come in and just sit down and do their nine to five, um, same thing week in, week out, is not going to survive and it's not going to be your top 1% employee. Right. Somebody who's inquisitive wants to bring in the team culture, wants to push boundaries, is the person who will really fit in to, to a progressive team. Um, but primarily, and I'll go back to this again, and we've discussed this before, Graham, um, it's it's all about culture. What's your culture? What's what's your thought process? How, how will you drive things forward? Mm-hmm. You know, Are you willing to sit back and just let it, let it um, you know, things flow over you? Or will you be saying, you know, where you go, Neil, you're talking nonsense. This is the better way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go, oh, okay, fine, no problem. Let's listen to it. What, what's the idea? Oh, bri- oh that's actually a brilliant idea. Superb. Let's let's go with that. Whereas you, know, if you if you create a series of yes men, you'll just get one one view and one one, one personality, and you stagnate. Um, 
and again, we've touched on it in the past, Graham. Salary. If your motivation is is one hundred percent money, mm-hmm. I quite often find that actually you're not pushing. And those are the employees who then think, well, actually, you know what? That company over there paid five percent more. I'm off. Yeah. They haven't bought into you and your your your, your team and your company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's needed. Otherwise, yeah. As soon as they, you know, if you're on a twenty grand salary, this will be obviously twenty two grand. Mm. You're off. <laughs> you know. Um, so it's so something I'll always say this, Neil. I'm sure I've said it to you because I, I say it absolutely everyone. But when you're hiring, you, you, the, more often than not, you're not hiring people that are out of work, right? That's 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 why guys like me exist, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, it's easy to hire people that are out of work. It's very difficult to hire people that are well taken care of and are progressing. Are the kind of people that you want to hire, right? The people that yep. are doing well. Um, if they don't have a professional reason at all for changing, it's a, it's the biggest red flag you can get. They should, they should just they should just be dropped if there's no professional reason at all. If it's if it's to do with money, if it's to do with even family or something like this, if those circumstances change. And they're happy with the change, then you'll get ditched. It's yeah. as simple as that. They'll reject your offer. They'll move to a competitor. They'll because you're, all you're doing is is offering a convenience to something that's going on in their life, rather than a professional challenge or a new opportunity or uh, you know an interesting project to work on. If none of those things are there, then you 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 know don't don't be surprised when that person doesn't stick around long. Correct. Um, and you know what. The, the, there's the old you know, cliche you should always ask the interview question, you know, what are you going to be doing five years' time? Well, I joined Cundall with six years ago, and certainly I, I've got that question very wrong <laughs> after this year. <laughs> but, but, but in some ways, it's, it's not what are you doing in five years' time, but, but, but where do you want to go? Where do you want to take this? Where do you professionally want to go? Where do you personally want to go? Mm. Do you think that, I, that, that the company can offer you that? Um, because for me, the, the recruitment process is two-way. As you said, you, you generally are wanting people who are being very successful anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to sell your vision, your ideas, your company culture to the person as well. And actually, does that match up with where they want to go, where their vision is? You know, There's no point in bringing in somebody who to be a team leader who actually just wants to be a team follower. There's no some point bringing in somebody for for a role that uh, you know to build to build something. Um, if actually, what they really want is for somebody else to hand them the work. You know that's not a marketer, so it's not that you know that's that, that's just a, a person who 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 who's there to take their salary. So it is, it's not a marketer. Um, so you've got to really think about that element of of that going forward. So you do you know. Do they fit in with what you want to do? Do they, do they fit the role? But more importantly, does the role offer them what they need? Um, best person for the role might not have to be the best person for the job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a process. The thing is, it's, it's difficult to hire. It's like, a, you know, you have to ask yourself, do you, want to, do you want to hire people to your team or do you want to hire the best people to your team? Right? And yeah. if you want to hire the best people to your team, you have to accept that's difficult. It's yeah. difficult to do. And, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate that it's very difficult to hire 
Um, there's always excuses that, oh, you know, the, the, these people don't, or we don't pay enough, or, you know, it's the location, that's why I can't hire. And it's like, oh, these are all just excuses. You can hire anywhere in the world to any company uh, if you get your process right. Correct. Um, and, you know, if you, if you show the right, um, the right attitude in the process, people, people, people will join you. Yeah, I, I, I'm at, that's where people like yourselves obviously come in. Great. <laughs> it's, 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 that, it's that filter as well. Um, it's finding, it's understanding the, what, what we need as, as a company uh, and making sure that the people put forward are the correct people. Um, you know, as I said earlier on, just firing CVs is not going to work. Um, it has to be thought, the thought process. Um, but I think also just um, uh, another interesting point at the moment is that Quite often, I still see roles saying, "Oh, you must be based in London, or you must be based in Glasgow." I think there's going to be a, a dramatic change now. And I know we have touched on this in the past. That actually, the London-centric element of actually, you must be in London. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go um, because actually, people have realised you can be anywhere in the world and do your job. Right now, um, which might be bad for everybody who lives in London and very, very expensive mortgages and very, very expensive houses at the moment. Because I actually, you might find a you know, people go out, you know, I, I need a leader. Um, it's going to cost me 300000 to hire them in London. Mm-hmm. And it's going to cost me 200000 to hire them in Manchester. It's going to cost me 100000 to hire them in Dingwall. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mum, I can all do the same job. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're all connected. Oh, yeah, I'll just save myself the fortune. Yeah. And go yeah, I, mean, and I think that again, it's, it comes back to that hiring is difficult, and you have, you have to think laterally, especially in a competitive market. I mean, anyone who employs transport planners is hiring transport planners at the moment. Yes, pretty much, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, you're probably looking for every transport planner out there. There's maybe two or three jobs, right? So they've got options, and you know, it's the shoe is on the other foot, if that makes sense. So you have to think laterally and yep. think outside the box. And, you know, I, I, I do quite a bit of work in, in tech as well. And, you know, clients down in London hiring software developers. I'm like, why are you hiring software developers in London? Why? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you, the, again, it's the, you know, do, do, you, do you want to hire people or do you want to hire the best people? And if you can yeah. extend that further, you would never say, oh, I want to hire the best people within a 30-mile radius of my office. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You want to hire the best people, so do what you need to do. Um, yeah. there's, there's issues with it. It's a slippery slope. Uh, you could follow that down a rabbit hole and everything just gets offshored, right? Um, yes. But uh, I think there's definitely you know companies that are recognizing that right now, um, that what was difficult for them to hire has become easier because they've realized, oh, I can hire someone in Inverness. I don't need someone in Nottingham yeah. anymore. Exactly, uh, and the, the slippery slope. I don't think of all offshore will necessarily happen because, at the end of the day, any consultancy is a people business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we it's relationships. It's relationships you have with your clients. Relationships you have with local authorities. It's mm-hmm. it's relationships. Um, and with the best will in the world, um, I don't think we'll ever see a completely one hundred percent online. Um, consultants i think that that's the wrong model not to go and therefore there will always still be a need for some face-to-face and therefore not i think the offshore element will will will, will, will happen maybe for process mm-hmm. but not for true consultancy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh, i hope you're right <laughs> I, hope you're, I? <laughs> you know, I, I agree i think you need you need that that, that face-to-face element for, for 
for, for interaction, for relationship and, and, and for adding value. And I think you're right. I think there are things that can be um, can be moved around. If there's no client engagement at all, then those jobs can be based anywhere. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's, that's the thing that people will take out of this. Um, and company, let's, let's, let's face it, you have a nice office in London. A large part of that is, is an image thing. It's not a practicality thing. So we're in London, Paris, and New York. Excellent. Um, yeah. But do you really need a 300-man office in London, or do you now just need a 30-man office in London? Um, you know, so there'll be a rationalization of, of, of those spaces and you can still put it on the business card, but um, oh, yeah. you maybe don't need that many people uh, sitting doing jobs in the center of London that, that they could be doing on the Isle of Iona. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that'll change. Um, uh, and I say companies, I said earlier on, companies which embrace that will be the ones which will, will, will thrive going forward. Um, Forward-thinking employers like yourself, Neil. Yes, and that's like Handel. We, we we are certainly um, I mean, uh, we're going through that optioneering at the moment. Yeah, you know, we're asking staff what do they see as the best blended model going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that element of well, actually, we need to, to think about that and, and how 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 our business works, how our operation works, mm-hmm. moving forward, uh, and which staff fit that. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially for our hiring, I think we have something seventy rules out at the moment inside inside Candle. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's an element of you know which staff fit mm-hmm. that 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 business model moving forward. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting year to come. I think. Um, yes. Is the uh, well, I probably didn't mention this. Is the hockey back on? Um, yes and no. Um, certainly not locally in Scotland, but um, uh, the very very top level international stuff is happening. But uh, even that's uh, slowly. Uh, uh, only coming back there's certainly been challenges in that but in Scotland no, no there's been no hockey which has uh, been my, my longest break from it in many years <laughs> and <laughs> so, any ideas when it will be coming back or um, I suspect Easter time will be the, the earliest we would see right. uh, anything but a lot more important thing at the moment than, um, than, than, than hockey but however physical exercise and walking is definitely one of the more important things, and people should all get out of their cars and do it more. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. On that note, Neil, thank you so much yep. again for uh, for joining us. If you want to find out any more about Kundal or Neil in particular, we'll put some links in the description. You can hop over and, and check them out. I'm sure Neil will be happy for anyone to reach out directly yep. as well to connect. Um, Neil, thanks again so much. Robin, thank you, Graham. It's been enjoyable, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak uh, in the near future. Mm-hmm.